podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus $30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate. Hello and welcome. It's your uh, bonus, I guess, Managing Madrid mailbag. This is your host, Gabe Lezra. Uh, I'm joined by my man, Om Arvind, uh, to just take a bunch a bunch of your questions. And um got to say, Om, um, lots of actual football questions, which kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, every time we ask, you know, for, for our, our listeners to ask us anything, they don't take the opportunity and really ask us anything. They just ask us the same old questions about football. But the good news is that we do have one new topic, and we're finally going to get the answer on it today. No one's ever given us the the full rundown of this topic, so I'm really excited to talk about it. Who is better, Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi? And that, I mean, I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad we're finally going to answer this question once and for all, and it won't ever be discussed again. But, no, in all seriousness, we... Um, yeah, this is your show. Uh, we are going to be giving all of our patrons, obviously, first blush, where you guys, um, you know, uh, get all your questions in first. But then we're going to get, I think, a few from just the the people on uh, on the social media. See where you guys all are. Um, just just putting it right out there to the many people who asked us to basically say who exactly Real Madrid is going to sign this summer. Um, I know the answer, but I won't tell you. So I'm sorry. That actually is um, managing Madrid policy. Like they tell us <laughs> everything they're gonna do in every game, but we we don't let that slip. So sorry if you tuned into this to hear um, the inside scoop about which big stars Real Madrid is gonna try to sign this summer. Um, yeah, you're gonna be disappointed because um, this is our policy not to reveal the inside information that we have. Yep, but when it comes to tactics, you know, when 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 Zizu sends me those DMs about his tactics, it's our policy to reveal that immediately because yeah, instantly. Because uh, as some of uh, some of the people who've messaged us directly on Facebook have reminded us, we're giving away Real Madrid's tactics and helping our opponents, and we're not a true fan page. That's a really good point. I forgot to mention that this isn't an actual. Um... You know, none of this is actually a Real Madrid fan account. We're actually a Real Madrid sabotage account, and that's all we do. We try to sabotage Real Madrid in every possible way, including by uh, being good friends with Zinedine Zidane and his uh, his his medical staff and revealing all of their secrets on, on our show, especially <laughs> on Ohm's articles about tactics. <laughs> uh, uh, so we will answer your tactics questions. So, hi... Um, entire technical staff of um, um, Bayern Munich. Um, yeah, you guys are going to get your your questions answered. And if you guys had bothered to ask us a question, we could have answered it for you, but we won't now. So you didn't you didn't ask. So what? Uh, we'll you'll have to make do with the all of the secrets we're going to tell everyone else. <laughs> um, okay, so let's just jump in again. Patreon.com slash Managing Madrid. If you are again one of the people tuning in to uh, see if your question got answered. You always get your question answered if you throw us $5 or more a month on uh, on Patreon. It's a hugely, really, and wonderful way to support uh, your independent Real Madrid journalism, journalists and students like me and Ohm. Uh, but it's also just the way we uh, produce this show, and, and, and um, it's an incredibly nice, but also you do get benefits. So if you give us 5 bucks a month, we answer your question every single show. $10 a month, you get a shout-out. And then there are even higher levels than that, up to uh, you can sponsor the show, you can even join the show for an episode. Um, and uh, one of the most popular tiers is uh, Keon writes articles for you. So you get to commission an article from Keon, which uh, is is – Actually, a pretty cool thing. He's done some really cool work for people. So if you want, you do that. Um, $1 right until for the next basically a week gets you access to all of our uh, patron shows, uh, all the back catalog. And if you have already con contributed $1, that's fine. But starting May 1st, 
we are raising the minimum pledge to three dollars. Uh, that means that in May one, three dollars will be the minimum pledge to get access to our patron content and uh, the back catalog of Managing Widget podcasts. Also, if you you know at that level. We will right now. If you ch- you up your one dollar to three dollar pledge, um, you we will follow you on Twitter from at Managing Madrid. Um, so that's another perk. But if you are at one dollar, um, you're going to be grand grandfathered in, so you won't have to change your pledge. Um, okay, sorry about that housekeeping. Uh, um, do you? Let's just jump in, right, dude? Yep. All right. Um, so first, from our guaranteed patron section, um, we have a few questions. Anas Alazawi um, asks us, Kaler has been fantastic and finally earned the respect of many, yet he suffers from defensive mistakes. Do you guys think these mistakes can be fixed with tactics or, say, signings? For example, another experienced center back in case two are out at the same time. Um, also, Keon, how's your book on flow coming along? Yeah, Keon's not on the show, but I will. We will pass along that question. He'll answer it next time he's on. Um, so, Owen, do you think? Do you first of all do you agree with the premise of this question? And second of all, if so, um, do you feel like Kaler's defensive mistakes can be changed with signings? Yeah. So, I'm. I'm I'm honestly curious as to why there's such a collective appreciation for Navas's form this season, especially. Um, not that I. It, it's a kind of I'm entering kind of dangerous waters here. But I, I want to make sure I phrase this carefully, but I just I don't think Navas has been that great at all this season. I mean, there's there's a number of mistakes he's consistently made throughout the season that I don't think you can say was just an isolated incident there are mistakes last season as well like the one against betty stands out in my mind and then we had the recent once again one against juventus which was just unforgivable and it's not something the old killer the pre-injury killer would have ever done so i i wouldn't say he's been fantastic but i would say weirdly enough despite his struggles he has earned the respect of most madridistas and it really surprises me because of the way we treated Casillas, or at least a portion of the fan base did. When, in my opinion, Casillas was making maybe half the mistakes Navas was across the entire course of the season, and each one was blown up in the media, and a portion of the fan base crucified him for each one. Yeah. Now, obviously, obviously, I do not want that to happen to Navas, no matter how bad a mistake he does. I'm not saying that that's what we should do to Navas. I'm just drawing an interesting um, parallel there between the two players because I find the way we've reacted to the two keepers when they've been struggling interesting. I, yeah, I, totally. I mean, there is some explanation in the 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 reason... I mean, we're looking... There's a period in time when everyone was going at Casillas was partially that uh, Madrid simply weren't winning. I mean, like there's a reason like that you're looking for scapegoats all the time and people decide to, 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 I mean, as we know, even with Madrid going through this, this epochally great era, right. People are still looking for scapegoats when things don't go right. And that's what happened with, you know, what keeps happening with Benzema, Bale, Hamas, it happened, you know, previously with 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 plenty of other players, and and Casillas was just the most recent like an example of it at that position. I think I, I don't really, I, t- I actually do agree though. Um, I'm I'm not really understanding the the obsession and 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 love of Kaylor's form this season. He's been great. Obviously, Real Madrid have won ton you know two Champions Leagues in a row with him in, in net, but I I don't really get the I don't know the kind of I mean, when we criticize him, people tend to uh, to come aggressively at us. They tend to freak the fuck out. Is what you're trying to say? That's right. Exactly what I'm trying to say. I mean, and and, and, the and that's the weird. It. And the weird thing is, is that I don't think I, I do understand the Kaler admiration in a, in the sense that like he, he's just a great guy. Like everything you see about yeah. him in the media, everything you see about social media, he just seems like a very, very humble, down to earth guy. Very, very likable and. One thing that I will always admire about him is his mental strength. So constantly there's always rumors coming in about a goalkeeper that's going to replace him, whether it's De Gea, whether it was Donnarumma, whether it was right. Kepa. And Navas hasn't said a word. You know, he, he's come back from injury. I mean, especially after Casillas left and there was immense pressure on him in that first season, in that 2015-16 season when he was 
the starter for the first time to perform. I mean, he performed like some like like peak Casillas in that season. It was absolutely incredible. So that kind of mental strength, I think, yeah. is very endearing to people. But when it comes to a purely footballing perspective, I'm not sure I understand it. Um, I mean, people have strong reactions, I think, because they just like the guy a lot. I mean, I do too, but I think to stretch it over in, into like just the pure footballing arena and then say that he's played really well, I, I don't think is accurate. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I would also say uh, his hair is dope now, though. I like his man bun. I think it's the best of all of the people doing it. I don't like it. Right <laughs> I, don't I know like no it. one likes like It seems like no one likes it. It's a little bit behind. Like Man buns were really cool a couple years ago, but like I don't know. I like it the best. It's the most like actual like samurai man bun that we've seen yet, I think. <laughs> uh, all right, so Anthony Vasquez... Do you feel like we? I, don't, I guess we didn't answer the second part of this, which is: could some of his mistakes be fixed with tactics or signings? Um, so, I I'd really have to go back and look at all of the mistakes he's made, and I I, I want to I intend to do that at some point, not because I enjoy watching Killer Navas make mistakes, but because <laughs> I want to see if I'm being fair in in because you know some of these things are just especially when it comes to something as rare as mistakes it's possible that we're looking at this and we're 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 just looking at one or two and blowing it up i mean i don't think i'm doing that but at some point i want to go through and look at every single goal real madrid is conceded and see how many navas were at fault for and also to kind of answer this question how much of it was down to tactics my feeling is without doing that is that the mistakes specifically are not down to tactics that it's just like him miss like not being able to catch the ball against Juventus and then just dropping it is not really down to tactics but I will say that the amount of pressure that is sometimes put on Navas's goal which leads to goals conceded that aren't Navas's fault is down to tactics like we've mentioned over and over again how we've been weak in transition in the press blah 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 but I don't think his specific mistakes over the course the course of this season have been down to to tactics no I agree with that um I would also I I would say that the the idea that signings would somehow alleviate these problems that I think especially you know is 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 a little far fetched like I uh, I just don't I don't see I don't even see how it's relevant to be quite frank I mean maybe he's talking about a new keeper coming in to push Kaler for the job Yeah I I mean that's the only way I would see it right like a new keeper who's less mistake prone comes in and therefore affects the amount of defensive mistakes that- Yeah I, I- I think that might be what he's saying. He's also, but he says, for example, bringing in another experienced center back in case two are out at the same time. I, I, I don't yeah, even see how, how that's um, how that's relevant. To be frank, I think maybe I think maybe because for, I mean I think we already have a, as good a center back you know personnel as we're gonna have, but I don't know if we had like. Uh, Connevar or something or like some great right. awesome defender come in uh, which I uh, funny I said Connevar because he came in he played pretty badly but whatever um <laughs> I was good for a few years really calm down I, I like watching him <laughs> so I I guess he's saying if we get like just a better center back it comes in and then he can alleviate some of the pressure on Navas's goals so there's less of a chance of him making mistakes is the way I kind of see that yeah um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure I see that. All right. Anthony Vasquez um, is asking us about Bayern. We're going to get a bunch of Bayern questions, so just bear with us. Um, but I think this is a particularly good one because it references yesterday's show um, that Keon put up with John Dillon from Varian Football Works, our sister sister site, um, and a good, great friend of uh, Managing Madrid and the Managing Madrid podcast. We've had a lot of different people from um, – but Bavarian football works on over the years. So Anthony um, asks us, so Bayern's greatest weakness or weakest link should be the goalkeeper, right? John Dillon said he'd stepped up and even been good, but in my opinion, Madrid should still score three to four goals in this tie just because of the goalkeeper. Well, obviously, okay, look, Neuer has been injured. Um, Neuer was the best goalkeeper in the world before he was injured, and he hasn't basically played since. Um, and so obviously losing the best player at exp- any position from your starting 11 is going to make your team slightly weaker. I mean, I, I would agree with that. I, I don't know if I'd say he's a weak link, though, I'm, because 
he's saying Madrid should score at least three to four goals in this tie because of the goalkeeper. So I, I just want to say one thing about just goalkeepers. I think, first of all, it's very, very difficult to assess goalkeeper quality due to the rareness of saves. Yeah. So it oftentimes it really takes us seasons and seasons for us to like really look at a goalkeeper and say, all right, this guy's right. legit. And second of all, because of the rareness of the saves that have to be made, I'm not sure that the difference between the elitist of goalkeepers is that vast between right. an average goalkeeper. That actually I mean, is something I've been saying for a while, that the difference – so it's very possible that, that we'll be wrong about this, Ohm, but the, in my view, the difference between the best goalkeeper in the world and what we would call a replacement-level goalkeeper – is going to be worth fewer wins if that like this is using a lot of like modern statistical language to talk about a sport that really doesn't understand this but it's going to be mm-hmm. worth fewer wins right than the mm-hmm. difference between having a you know league average replacement level say uh center attacking midfielder and uh the best in the entire world right that that the difference there is 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 major and uh, mm-hmm. season defining whereas I'm not convinced that that's the dif- the difference in the if if you have those uh, that difference in the goalie. Does that make sense? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I agree completely, and I think it has to do with the rarity of the events of saves, like I was mentioning before. Because compared to things like shots or tackles or passes, it's just not something that you see that often. That therefore a goalkeeper of a very high quality is going to have less of a chance to separate himself from goalkeepers of of another level. And also, I mean, these guys are playing in the top flight. I mean, this guy is playing for Bayern Munich. These guys are playing in the first division uh, of the league in the country. I mean, they're extremely good. I mean, move to any other position. And we, we, we tend to talk in superlatives. We, we tend to say that this certain player is just like 20, 20 million times better than this other player. I mean, they're certainly, I think like Ronaldo and Messi, they're certainly significantly greater than other players. But if you really, really look down to it, because we're at such a high level, the difference between you know b- between players at a high level and players who are just good isn't as high as we like to think. Yeah. And I think, I think because of the nature of the goalkeeping position, this is exacerbated even more. Yeah. So I don't think we can go ahead and say that oh we should just score three to four goals in this tie because of the goalkeeper. I mean, to me, that's a very simplistic analysis. I agree. Uh, and just to to fully expand on what I meant when I said wins, like this is a actually a been a point of contention um, in statistical analysis of sports for a very long time. But when we talk about wins and we talk about replacement level players, these are actually not just kind of theoretical constructs. These are statistical constructs that exist in a lot of sports that you create, say, a player X in Y position. Um, you take all of the basically the league average numbers and basically say this is what we would call the league average player or you know in some cases in in baseball it's actually even a slightly more complex ca- uh, categorization because uh, it, it's it's the replacement level players essentially what what would happen if we called up a high level like minor league player to put at this position but the but the when we say that and when you say the difference between good and great is actually not that big, I would agree. I would say, though, the difference between, like, replacement level and great is huge when it comes mm-hmm. to, like, uh, some of these positions. Like, at, at you know, the difference between playing, uh, you know, bench-warming striker at Hitafe X with Cristiano Ronaldo actually is going to change the mm-hmm. outcome of a number of, like, will, like I said, will be, the, there will be, a definitive change in the number of games your team wins by itself. I'm not sure that that even that huge distinction, right? Bench warming keeper at mid-level team coming in for Neuer. It's not obvious to me that that changes a lot of games for Bayern. Yeah. And I think and, that's what we're saying. And, and I just want to be honest here. Like I, I had no idea who this guy was before he, he started <laughs> playing for Bayern and I haven't really paid attention to his career, what he's been doing at Bayern. <laughs> so I'm not sure if he's the, you know the the replacement level player on the bench for a mid table club type. Right. He might be. Level. We think he's better generally, or, right? Yeah, or if he's actually a very good player but not world class. I mean, but like Gabe said, I think because of the nature of the position, I don't think it makes too much of a difference either way. 
but I guess we'll see. I mean, but yeah. I think really the more important battles and the more important um, aspects we should be focusing on are like, you know, how is the midfield battle won? How are we going to stop Robin and Ribery on the flanks, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. Um, all right. A few transfer-related questions from my patrons. Jihan Watson, long-term friend of the show, um, asks us, with Zizou's loyalty to Kaler scuppering the Kepa signing, would he not do the same for a David De Gea signing, or would Perez overrule? I'm hoping for for Donnarumma as the potential to have a top three keeper for the next 12 years for me outweighs the negative of Raiola, not to mention I could envision a one-year platoon-type situation with Kaler, which perhaps would appease Zidane. Thoughts? So basically, uh, keeper situation, I think that the, the main thing I wanted to, to, to answer with this question is, it does seem like Zidane has a loyalty to Kaler. I understand that. I'm still angry about the Kepa thing. I understand Keon, like, you know, questioning it, but it just seems to me to be one of the stupidest things this club has done in, in a long time, just given purely the value for money. And I, it's not my money, so whatever. But, like, the idea that you wouldn't take this, you know, really, really high-end, very young, improving keeper for pennies on the dollar, right, that he's worth on – that he would be worth on the market uh, is is still annoying me. <laughs> but uh, I think the real question that you have, uh, Jihan, is would – you know, uh, Zidane potentially try to scupper or get in the way of a David De Gea signing. Um, and he might, but I think that D- David De Gea and Perez have making been making, like, flirty eyes at each other for a while. And, like, I think it's possible that in this case, Perez would uh, would go out and get him. I also think, Gian, this is just, uh, with again, under the assumption that Madrid keeps um, Zidane, which is not guaranteed, and that Perez doesn't say... Look, Zidane, we love you and we're very happy with your service, but uh, it's time for me to step in and kind of take a more involved role in getting some of the talent that I want for this roster. So ultimately, who play, who is on this roster is up to the president uh, and the board. So David De Gea coming in would be Perez's decision, despite Zidane whining about Kaler. Um, so I don't know. Uh, do you have any th- thoughts, I, any answers to these questions, um, Om? So, I so so far from from what we understand, and I, I think we should be clear in that we don't understand too much about how these these who's in control of what in terms of transfers, especially in the Zidane era. Most of this is just rumors, but I think we have a decent understanding in the sense that Zidane has a, a, a big say in who's coming into the team as opposed to someone like Benitez or Ancelotti. He has more of a Mourinho-type role in transfers. So I, I do think it's possible that Zizou, if he scuppered the Kepa signing once, could do it again. But Perez said something really, really kind of dangerous, you know, either it was today or yesterday, where he, he put out this, this statement in support of Kaler saying how he was such a great player, how he something about him working really hard and how Real Madrid backs him and loves him. And you know when Florentino Perez says something like that, he tends to do the exact opposite. I mean yeah. <laughs> the, the statement the statement in support of Benitez before he was sacked like two weeks later, I mean, th- there's this like kind of history of Perez doing those kinds of things. Um I think this may be like like you said, Gabe, one time where Perez overrules Zidane. I mean, I think Perez wouldn't have qualms doing it. I think he has the power to do it. I think he was just respecting the fact respecting Zidane's status and respecting who he was in the footballing world by allowing him to have such a say over transfers. But I think he might step in, especially with a statement like that. I mean, I say it kind of in jest, but also, you know, it it's it's just like it, it's kind of like a signal about when Perez is trying to do something. As for the Donnarumma thing, I mean, yeah, I mean, I actually agree with that. I was really high on the Donnarumma train, especially last season, but Raiola and that whole situation and, and Donnarumma's relationship with the Milan fans kind of exploded and it turned Ramander fans off to him. I mean, Raiola is a bit of a loose cannon, but Donnarumma, people have forgotten all of that, that Donnarumma is still insanely good. He's still only like 19 or 20 years old. He's got the whole world ahead of him. I mean, I would go for him if we could, but I wouldn't be devastated if we didn't and went for someone like Kepa, who I think would be a safer signing. I agree. Um, I mean, and this is a lot of this, Om, right, is going to 
a hinge on the quality or the the way Madrid ends this season. I still I still stand by my points from the last few podcasts that we actually don't have any idea other than the fact that they've told us all their plans, but we don't really have any idea what the, the roster is going to look like next year, and that's partially mm-hmm. because we actually don't know how Real Madrid is is going to approach the offseason, right? Because if Madrid uh you know, wins the Champions League, et cetera, all the things I've said previously, then maybe Madrid goes into this offseason feeling like, hey, like we don't need to make big changes. We've now won the Champions League three times in a row. This is the arguably greatest, greatest squad ever put together. Like maybe we don't mess around too much with this. Now, if Madrid gets eliminated by Bayern, loses to Barcelona, suddenly things are looking like, hey, maybe we need to do a bit of a squad revolution where we kind of emphasize youth and bring in a couple other, a couple big, you know, big players then maybe, or maybe a new manager, that kind of stuff. It could all change. And there are only a few games that are going to define how we look back on this season uh, as, as, as it sort of has been for the last few years. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really, I think it's a really good point. I mean, it's insane to think that one result essentially could change the way we approach the entire off season. But I mean, I think that's absolutely correct. I mean, given the importance of the Champions League, whether we win it or not, could you know it could determine Zidane's job which could then determine what happens to players like Kaler and it could determine the the the, the people we pursue or don't pursue in the summer transfer yeah. window um next question comes from um Adrian Rios who says he had to pay I had to pay that five dollars a month because I felt like someone has got to ask the tough questions that we Madridistas don't want to answer all right all right all right let's see so uh here are his two tough transfer questions First, let's say we end up in a similar situation as last year with having to let go of Hamas because his position was too packed and he was too big of a star to sit on the bench. Who would you rather let go? I can't believe it. Who would you rather let go of, Bale or Asensio? I didn't add Valkyrie because I don't think he minds being on the bench as much as the other two stars. Realistically, who do you think would be better for the team short-term and long-term out of the two? All right, so the premise, let, I think this is what we'll say, Om. I don't think either of us wants to accept this premise, right, mm-hmm. that there is an either-or decision here. So with that out of the way, uh, um, Adrian, Adrian, like you, you should understand that we – do not think that this is an either-or decision. I'm not convinced that even the board or even the players think it's an either-or decision. In fact, we've seen them play together. I I really strongly feel like this is not a required either-or decision. But we will go ahead and accept your pre- premise. Mm-hmm. And what is your answer accepting all of the stuff that we don't agree with? Uh, Asensio, I mean, it's, it, it doesn't feel right. To say that, I mean, let go of Asensio. No, keep Asensio. Sorry, keep. Um, simply because of what he's going to give us in the long term and age, man. That's it. Yeah, age and also Bale's injury is always a huge question mark. So let's say because I still think there's like two more years of peak Bale, but there's a potential injury like halves that. So I think without a doubt, when you really think about it, it would have to be Asensio because of age. Yeah, and that's my my answer also. Age and injury, but but I I don't think it's a so again, I don't think this is a either or scenario. You're forcing us to pick um but it's like forcing me to pick two of my kids because I love these two players so much. <laughs> my future, the future Real Madrid that I would design would have absolutely have both of them in there. So there are many a number of other players I would rather jettison before either of these two guys. Um Second question. Second tough question from um, Adrian. Um, we all love Navas and all that he's done over the last couple of seasons, but we've seen how hard it is for Zizou to make the tough decisions and buy new players, and thus we've skipped out on David De Gea and Kepa when we could have brought them in. Has Zidane been making the right decision by opting out of buying them, or should he have brought these keepers earlier when they were cheaper? Um Okay, for first of all, I'm on record saying for, that we should have bought both of those keepers. So I don't know. You can go back and listen to the show. Um, even a couple of day, weeks ago, Oma, I came on and said, despite the fact that Kaler has been great and that I love Kaler and, and he's an incredible player and, and I'm very happy for his service, that fax machine thing was a big night, was quite bad for Madrid because David De Gea is, has evolved, I think, into the best keeper in the world. So, and, you know, Kaler. Not like he's good, but he's he's not best keeper in the world. Now, that being said, as you mentioned, there's not a huge difference between best keeper in the world and top seven keeper in the world. But still, mm-hmm. 
The difference is there is a factual difference. If you look at David De Gea's, for example, this incredible uh, new stat that I saw from um, Statman Dave or someone who's doing this, which is basically expected um, goals allowed, ver- goals allowed versus expected goals allowed, which basically calculates how many, uh, how how well a goalkeeper prevents goals that otherwise they would have been saved from going in. Um, he has was has the highest rate in the Premier League, and it's not even close. Um, it's crazy the numbers that he was putting up with respect to stuff like that. He is genuinely – people talked about Manchester United having a good defense. They don't. They have David De Gea, who has been the best. So, yeah, that that was a mistake. And um, the Kepa thing seems to me, like I said, to be an 100% obvious mistake when you could have brought him in. You could have played him whenever, and then you could have slapped a, a bit of a price tag on him. If even if you didn't want to keep him, you could have got turned him around and flipped him for more money. It's like more like what we were saying about Morata. Like this is so dumb, um, both of them. So, uh, yeah. So I mean, so I when the fax machine thing happened, I was actually I actually thought you know that was a good thing and that you know Nava staying was the way to go. I thought that. Seeing because people people didn't really remember at the time Navas's a season uh, in 2013-14 for Levante I think it was I mean, he was just absolutely incredible right, in his World Cup of course right yeah I mean it was insane and I still remember that I thought listen I I don't think he's necessarily been treated that fairly in the entire Castilla situation if we give this guy a chance he's going to be incredible and so for that first season after the fax machine debacle or I I yeah I was. I was vindicated, I think, because he was, yeah, he he was absolutely insane. But looking at it in hindsight, I think I I would have, if if I could have like changed that decision and brought into here, I would have because Navas got injured and he played through injury and it wasn't so great. And and we are where we are now, but I don't think it was the biggest, biggest, I don't think it was disastrous mistake given the season that Navas gave us afterwards. But I think the Kepa thing was just a disastrous mistake given Given what we knew at the time, given the price tag, which would have been a lot cheaper than anything we would have paid for De Gea, and given that Navas wasn't playing as well, I and and given also Kepa's age, who's way younger than both of these keepers, and that Kiko Casilla was playing at replacement level or below whenever he yeah. got the chance, he was he was really bad. Yeah, so it was just not something I understood at all. I mean, I I think there could have been a chance even to bring Kepa in kind of do what Barcelona did with Ter Stegen and Bravo and, and yeah. eventually eventually put Ter Stegen on top of Bravo and move Ter Stegen up, like do that slow transition. Yeah. So we wouldn't just throw Navas out and in case Navas raised his level, we would start him because that's that's how it would work. Yep. So, I mean, it wouldn't be like we just had to kick Navas out, right? I thought there were so many ways to oh, go about too, this. Oh, man. That I just I'm I just don't under, about it. I'm I think still... I think it was a terrible decision. And if somehow for some reason we can't get Kepa in the summer because something changes or it becomes too expensive, it, it we're gonna look back at this and we're gonna kick ourselves because this was a huge opportunity. Huge. Um so if you I mean like these are two tough questions, but again, um I think there are answers here, and I think Omu were vindicated. I still think that, you know, having David uh, De Gea, when we could have gotten him, would have been better anyways. But it doesn't matter. The point is now Madrid is likely in the market for a keeper. So um, not necessarily because they're ready to jettison Navas. Though. And that's why I liked the Kepa signing so much. Just like you were saying, this could easily have been a Claudio Bravo, Ter Stegen thing where they both work together. And, and Kaler, absolute, that's what really baffles me is that Kaler seems to clearly have – this mentality that he is a team player who's willing to, uh, you know, be there for the team. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. And he he would he seems like the type that he could have he could be a Real Madrid lifer. Like I I mm-hmm. actually don't think that there's any reason that Madrid needs to sell Kaler even if they bring in David De Gea Don, or Donnarumma or any of these people. I bet that Kaler would be happy to be a Madrid lifer play. Uh, you know, in, in, in the Copa games and whatnot, should still show off, play for Costa Rica, and then retire, you know, after five or six years, you know, of, of being Madrid's second keeper. And and I, I don't see – there's nothing in, in his personality that indicates th- that he's ever had a problem with that idea. 
Yeah, and especially for a Kepa or a Donnarumma who are coming in really young, it's not like they would just come in and relegate Nawaz to the bench immediately. They'd have to fight for their place. I mean, we've seen that with a lot of young keepers who've, who've come in under the tutelage of more important yeah. of, of older keepers, sorry. They've had to fight for their place, and it's taken a season or two for them to eventually win it. So it's not like Navas would have just had to accept some yeah. kind of secondary role immediately. So I, I mean, I personally think that would have been ideal. I would have loved to see that. I think Navas's level would have improved because of the competition. Because as as we talked about, Navas's mentality is incredible. Yeah. But I mean, it is what it is. It is what it is. Um. And uh. Uh, Adrian uh, Adrian just wants to finalize. He wants to dunk on Keon. And Keon, you said Navas is still top five this season, but I think Aderson and Allison are both um, more deserving of that fifth spot. Um, all right, whatever. Uh, I, it's because I made the point that I said Keon, uh, that Kaler is in top five or whatever, but it was just kind of off, off my, out of my ass a little bit. Um, Ian Marley, another uh, wonderful patron of the show, asks us, what do you think of Maurizio Sarri as a coach? I think he, what he has done at Napoli is outstanding, and personally I'm a big fan of how his teams play. Do you think he would be able to make Real Madrid play the same way um, with the players we have? I'm saying this without downplaying Zidane's ability as a coach. I'm just curious. Okay, so I'm a huge, huge Sarri fan, and I basically want Napoli to win the Serie A title just because he's the coach and the kind of football he's made them play. And after beating Juventus... They, they they have a, they have a real chance of doing that now um so tactically I mean he's just brilliant I mean he oh, plays I think you're forgetting that it's it's really immoral and rude of teams to score against Juventus or really have anything <laughs> good happen to them. especially a late goal like that man so Bali has a trash can of a heart man so rude I just like he if he wants to do stuff like that he should be in the stands with his wife drinking a beer and eating some potato chips <laughs> <laughs> Um, sorry, go, go ahead. I, I also like Maurizio Sarri a lot. So, uh, so as I was saying, tactically is brilliant. He plays, he, he, he plays positional play, obviously, and it's a very kind of a, a slightly more direct, faster style. Um, he likes to play a lot of vertical passes, a lot of wing combinations. You know, it's a slightly more difficult style than I think what Pep Guardiola does. But in my opinion, it's the most entertaining football I've ever seen. Um, and it's also extremely effective. I mean, if you look at the defensive numbers, not just like this, the surface ones, but looking at XG numbers, both for defense and offense, I think they're like second in the league for offense or first or and first or second in the league for defensive numbers because they also press really well. So absolutely, considering the quality of players Real Madrid have, we could we I think he'd do even better with Real Madrid in terms of the type of style he wants to play and I think would be even more devastating. The only catch here is is that he, he hardly rotated this season. I mean, I don't think Napoli's depth is the greatest, in all honesty, but they did have a little more depth than last season and both seasons that he's been with the club, he's hardly rotated at all. And it nearly blew Napoli's chance at winning, winning the Serie A title because... I, they got gassed essentially by the end, and you could see even even versus Juventus, even though, I mean, they had that extra motivation because they needed to beat Juventus. They hadn't done it in a long time. They still look tired, and the style of play they like to play is extremely intense. It's a lot of pressing, a lot of work to win the ball back. You know, constant movement off the ball to create all these passing combinations. That would be my only worry about this guy if he was to come to a club like Real Madrid. And, and not rotate. Um, yeah. But other, yeah, otherwise, yeah, yeah. otherwise, I think he's fantastic. Um, and, yeah, I'm just really happy with what he's done, and I hope Napoli can capture that title. It would be great. Um, he reminds me – some of his stuff reminds me a little bit of, of, uh, of Jurgen Klopp and his BVB playing that kind of smash-mouth football in Germany. Um, but uh, I, I would also say that um, there are <laughs> – there are coaches who I love watching, and Sarri is actually way better than the person I'm about to talk about, but whose teams rule, and they're really fun to watch. And this Napoli, and only in that respect, reminds me a ton of Marcelo Bielsa's Chile that was just so much fucking fun to watch. That that It's a style of play that he just basically puts, says everyone is going to sprint for every second of this match. And uh, 
It is so much fun to watch. It is 100% a thing that does not work over the course of a year, which is why Marcelo Bielsa has uh, entirely failed in every single like long-term non-international uh, job that he's gotten. <laughs> but he does, he did, you know, do the, do the crap out of that Chile side, man. And that was fun as hell to watch. Yeah. I, and, and also the thing about Sari is like, he, he, he is kind of a cult of personality. I mean, you can look at some of his training sessions or read articles that are described. It. I mean, he'll just be sitting there with like a cigarette in his mouth, you know, barking orders at his, as team as they run around nice. and press or whatever. I mean, he has that very much like kind of, kind of character about him that, that you identify in some coaches. So, I mean, he's just, he's just a badass man. Like, owns. that's I, so cool. I, I mean, every, everyone, everyone likes him besides like Juventus fans, I think. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I, I have yet to meet someone, uh, someone that's not a Juve fan who doesn't, who doesn't like this guy. Yeah. Last of our guaranteed patron questions. Uh, Anton Hackberg wants everyone to know, um, I and another patron, um, Frederick Sundros, are going to the semifinals against Bayern in Madrid. If anybody else is in Madrid during the semifinals, throw me a message. You can get him, get through to him on Patreon um, for any of the patrons who are there. Just hit him up, man. Go get a beer. That's awesome that you guys are going. Can't wait to hear back. It's going to be an incredible atmosphere. Um, all right, let's jump into some of the um, non-guaranteed patrons. Where again, $5 plus, you get guaranteed answers on every question. This time, because literally just a mailbag, we're going to try to do as many of all our patron, patrons' questions as possible. Um, Ignacio Lobregat asks us, um, all right, so um, this one's for you. Reading Ohm's uh, latest article in defense of Gareth Bale's recent form kind of got me thinking. Which player in our history do you guys think benefited the most from the change in position on the field? And who do you guys think would benefit the most from a who do you guys think would benefit the most from a position change? Like, for example, do you think Teo could switch from a left back to a wide midfielder or a winger? Or maybe Vallejo imitating Javi Martinez and learning to play a holding midfield role? So so I ha I haven't really thought about this question. So just off the top of my head, for the player in, in our history who benefited the most from a change in position, I'm just gonna say Marcelo because he was initially a left winger, which is why he's so damn good at attacking. And I think moving him to the left-back position just added something else to, to our team because it provided us with the attacking qualities of a world-class winger at left-back. And he also had some defensive inst instincts that, that have grown over time and has made him just into a brilliant player who arrives from deep when defense is least expected in positions that really benefit his skill set. And as you can see, I mean, it's he's been a huge, huge part of all the success that we've had. So I think, and Marcelo, in my opinion, as I mentioned many times before, has become the greatest left back in the history of this club. So I think he really benefited the most from a change in position. Um, and as for a current player, I think what you said, uh, Ignacio, about Vallejo imitating a Javi Martinez position, I talked about this before. I mean, I personally think I think Vallejo should stay as a center back. But I do think in, in in a different universe, it would be very, very interesting to say to see Vallejo become a defensive midfielder because I think he has all the qualities yeah, that, that, that can be great in that role. I would also say that the idea of uh, Teo switching to left wing is a terrible idea. I, I don't mean to, to, to push this on you. I just I think that 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 Madrid needs to groom Teo to use his physical gifts and you know, abilities to become the future of that left wing for Madrid. And I don't think that turning him into a left winger, which is a position that is in modern, in the modern game, like almost requiring you to be able to switch around in your positions and play more centrally. Like one of the mm -hmm. few positions left in the modern game that guarantees you most of your time playing wide is the wing back. And mm -hmm. that, that is exactly what Teo's skill set is good for. I think he he's still an incredibly, in my view, an incredibly exciting prospect, um, despite like, and, and I think he's he's shown it, um, and he's shown flashes of what he can do, and and I I would not want to mess with him. I think he's he's developing the way I want, and he's developing, uh, you know, tactically, he's developing physically, and and I just I wouldn't mess with him. He's he's really good. I wouldn't start saying, hey, maybe what you need to do is start learning how to like. Uh, uh, play left, left, you know, left midfielder and exchange like short passes with Tony Kroos. Like that's not this dude's game. Like it's not mm -hmm. going to work for him. So, like, don't mess with it. Like let let him develop a little bit. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. 
All right. Um, last patron question. Wow. All right. Last patron question. Um, MB. So this is this is a great question, my man. And I um, I'm gonna loop the audio into this now. Um, that uh, MB is talking about. Um, I'm sorry for the people who don't speak Spanish. I I am. So you can just skip ahead. Um, after after I read this question. Um, so how is the reaction in Spain to the Isco tweet about Juan Macastaño? Seems juicy, but almost everything about it is in Spanish. Anything worth knowing about? Okay, so I'm going to loop the audio now. Muy buenas, bienvenidos al partidazo de la cadena COPE en otra noche histórica de Champions. El Real Madrid está en semifinales de esta competición y lo está en medio de un escándalo de tamaño mundial y un escándalo que puede ser recordado durante muchos años. Minuto 93 de partido con 0-3 en el marcador para la Juve. El árbitro, el inglés Michael Oliver, pita un penalti de Benatia sobre Lucas Vázquez. No sé si aprecia empujón, patada o ambas cosas del jugador de la Juve sobre el futbolista del Real Madrid. Lo pita y lo hace en una acción que se va a recordar prácticamente para siempre. Me quedo con esa reflexión de Paco. ¿Cómo sería la reacción de muchos si esto hubiera sucedido a un equipo español? El Madrid ha hecho un partido lamentable, cobarde, desaparecido sin la pelota, pero el Madrid está en semifinales por un milagro. Otra vez, un milagro para los madridistas y para los que no son madridistas por un robo. Lo de hoy pasa la historia. Nunca va a haber acuerdo en torno a la jugada que hemos vivido esta noche. Buenas noches. No es una fecha para la historia del Barça, ni tan siquiera para la historia del fútbol. Es una fecha para la historia del deporte. Lo que ha pasado hoy en Barcelona, en el Camp Nou, es historia del deporte. Aquí estamos en el partidazo de la cadena COPE, en directo, con ustedes desde las once y media, contándoles la gesta del Barça. Partido inolvidable en el Camp Nou. Victoria 6-1 ante el Paris Saint-Germain. Sigue adelante el Barça con un guión absolutamente increíble, porque para el que no haya visto el encuentro no es un 6-1 normal. Es un 6-1 distinto a todos los isunos que pueden haber visto ustedes es que han visto muchos en su en su vida. Okay, so that was Juan Macastaño um, talking in two different. And one of the things that really gets me about this is that he's basically wearing the exact same outfit. But in the first um, in the first you know chunk of that clip, it's him talking about how Madrid had executed one of the great heists of all time. That the game against Juve is is polluted. That blah blah all that stuff. And then the second part of the cl clip is him talking about how Barca's victory uh, over PSG, where you know they obviously there were a number of <laughs> almost unforgivable refereeing mistakes that gave Barca that win, basically. Um, was pure and great and the greatest comeback of all time, et cetera. And Isco, Isco tweeted it, and he tweeted this, and, and it was incredibly uh, it was incredibly damning. I mean, like, he, Juan Macastaño looked disgraced and, and damned by these two things because you have the videos also looping images of, like, Suarez diving and, like, the handball on PK that didn't get called and all this stuff that, like, the actual clear refereeing mistakes that happened in that game... Um, It, the only thing that is worth knowing is that it happened, that Isco was involved. That, that I think, is the, the real takeaway. Like, obviously, the Catalan media and the Madrid media are going to disgrace themselves like this. They're going to have different standards. They're going to be hypocritical sacks of shit. They're going to be incredibly horny for their own teams. And they're just going to be wet big boys. And that's what Juanma Castaño is. Now, the, <laughs> the fact that Isco is involved... Is the is the story here, and it it is it does kind of own that Isco found someone sent him this video, and he decided to tweet it. Okay, so so holy shit, I'm just seeing all as you were saying all of this. I, I I just looked at all of this now because my head is in the sand. I had no idea about any of this. This fucking rules. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, 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 I yeah. love it when players get into this shit and they just destroy hacks yeah. for saying absolute dog shit. Like, it's just awesome. I mean, it happens a lot more in the NBA, but in it's not that common in football. So when it happens, I mean, it's a really, like, it, it's an awesome moment because it's them kind of getting more personal and almost acting like, like a fan. I feel like Isco was completely justified, and I think sometimes you just need to, you just need to shut these guys up because they talk too much trash, and they often go unchecked. And to know that, like, you know, players kind of, they, they know that they're talking bullshit and, you know, to see them kind of respond in, in such a, and in a humorous way as well, you know, not letting 
the journal that that journalists know that he's got to them, but rather kind of trashing them in a humorous, made kind of painting them as a joke. I think is just awesome. I wish our players would do that more often. But the I fact wish that everyone would do it more often. These it, it absolutely rules. These these the well, you, what what is important to remember, and I I don't mean to malign anyone who's been on our show who we know, but what, what's important to remember is that the Spanish media is full of absolute hacks whose entire job is to uh uh you know to be the mouthpiece of the horny uh moist segment of the population that only cares not like about their team and the narrative surrounding their team that uh and that creates that narrative right so these guys are the are the people that uh would you know, and this is like a radio show. So this is the kind of guy who is on your drive time radio who uh, is going to yell at you about how Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, hates all his teammates, spits in their faces, like tried to fight them in the dressing room while quaffing his hair and getting a blowjob from someone. Um, <laughs> and then about how Messi has never done anything bad in his life, that the entire Spanish government was conspiring to create uh, an attack on him uh, for his tax fraud case. Like it's it's these these kind of people are hacks they are not real journalists and they should be shamed as much and as often as possible and the fact that the players are getting involved is great and that owns but we as it also sort of means that we have fans has failed and we need to be more in these people's faces about how hacky and shitty they are i think well, I, I i mean i agree with that i mean i think part of the problem is is there's so many people who are, who are like obsessed and like believe the shit that like Chiringuito and like those kind of like organizations, like the content they put out, like so, so many of the times we're not critical of the stuff they're putting out that it allows him to spread. Like, I mean, you've obviously seen Chiringuito videos. I mean, like some of the slow motion stuff with the dramatic music. And then I, I look at the number of likes on the tweet and it just, it just boggles my mind that people look at this and they're like, Yep, this makes sense. I, I I like this kind of content. I mean, right, like you said, it owns that players are doing this, but us as like football fans, yeah, we need fans, to be consumers. better consumers of media yeah. to know that this is all bullshit. And like, it just goes back to the whole, you know, these people are. I mean, and this guy should be ashamed. Um, he's disgraced himself in his profession. But the fact is that we. Uh, we should be sav savvier consumers of media generally. And like when Mundo Deportivo puts an obviously photoshopped image on their cover uh, of Ronaldo's abs <laughs> or Ronaldo's abs or of, of literally what they did with the um, Lucas Vazquez foul. Oh yeah. That game shit. Where, where they literally moved. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, I, I don't know who they moved. Benatia. They, they moved Benatia. Benatia away from Lucas to look like he wasn't touching him. And this is the kind of thing that needs to be called out by us as well as uh, by the people that are involved and, and everyone. We should know, you know, this is Evan was complaining about this on our on our Let's Fix Football that we recorded a couple of days ago because the Juve fans after that match were engaging in like a shitload of, you know, revisionist history where they posted all this junk about like you know how the Calcio Poli actually wasn't a real thing about how about how Juve didn't do anything wrong um, about how it was all a big fraud um, and it, you know that's that's you know it's bad it's it's funny it's all this stuff that we we love to joke about but it's also like hey how about like maybe don't you know engage in the this awful fake media bullshit <laughs> like don't make shit up like that it's awful um, anyways. I the reaction in Spain to this, I, I actually haven't. I'm not in Spain, so I wish I was. Um, but I, I, I can only imagine that it's exactly like the reaction we see online, which is awful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just quickly want to say that we also got to like remember to be critical of this type of stuff when it's going in our favor because oh, yeah, it's totally. yeah because it's not like there isn't like a huge contingent of spanish media that is pro madrid i mean there is definitely that contingent and they spew a lot of bullshit about barcelona and other teams and i mean because obviously opposition fans are going to get onto this kind of stuff and criticize it but you know that doesn't affect them as much as you know fans who, who or, or who benefit from that kind of stuff if, if they step back and say you know what we don't like this kind of content because it's not honest. I mean, I think that really is, is what needs to happen. I mean, I'm not so optimistic that will happen, but I think that's really what needs to happen here. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, all right, let's take, uh, let's take some non-patron questions. First of all, really um, stepping up the insanity in some of these questions. So, um, good job. 
Uh, but this guy, this is my favorite one. Um, Ashrufer Lamb at Ashrufer asks us, Neymar? What do you think? What do you think that could possibly be about? Like, I, I understand, like, that I know, I, I, we all know what you're trying to ask us, but it rules that you just sent his name in a question mark. And um, I think the answer to your question is maybe. <laughs> and we leave it at that. And we leave it at that. Um, Rebecca Teasdale, another great question. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't even know how to get into this one. Should we start two out of Vasquez, Asensio, or Bale to have cover for Marcelo and Carvajal? Or, <laughs> or are we going to work Marcelo as a slave, as we always do, asking him to be a left winger and fullback in one, then blame him when he can't get back? Um, I, I, assume, <laughs> I assume you're talking about the Bayern game. Um, and, uh, I mean, maybe don't talk about slavery. <laughs> I just don't, don't call like asking players to run slavery. It's probably not, but, um, so what do you think? Ohm, should we start? Two out of Vasquez, Asensio, or Bale to have, I mean, to have cover for Marcelo? Yeah, I mean, I think we have to go with the wide formation here. I, I would, I mean, there's the next question kind of touches on this, and it's like more directly at that, so I won't talk about it too much, but I think it has to be like a 4 3 3 with the four, uh, or something like that, or a 4 2 3 1 with like a 4 1 4 1 defensive structure to, defend, to defend wider areas and help protect Marcelo. All right, so let's get into the second question. Um, Abimanyu Dabas, I'm I'm doing my best. If I pronounce your name wrong, you can direct all your anger to at Infantino on Twitter, at Infantino. <laughs> um, despite working just a handful of times, even after being applied two dozen of times, do you think the 4-4-2 diamond midfield formation has any future for this Real Madrid team because it's the only way to field their strongest lineup on paper? Or do you instead prefer a flat 4-4-2 with Vasquez and Asensio combining with their fullbacks and having more emphasis on a crossing game? Basically, what I'm asking is, which formation do you think is more productive and gets the best out of the squad? Since one formation, I think you're not asking, you're saying, this is obviously a leading question, but whatever. Since one formation sacrifices width offered from forward players and requires fullback to play as wingers, which leaves large gaps to exploit from opposition wing players. Whereas... The f- um, learn about periods, man. You can make these sentences smaller. Whereas the other formation sacrifices the defensive midfielder and doesn't completely free up the playmakers. <sighs> okay. Um, so, width, diamond, ohm. This question has actually been asked in some form or another on a lot of our shows. So why don't you give the answer? Yeah, so I I think the diamond's dead. I, I think, Gabe, you feel that as well. Keon has definitely yeah. expressed that sentiment. It's just teams have figured out how to exploit it. It's just we concede far too much on the flanks. Juve destroyed it. You know, Douglas cost in particular. It's not something we could go in. Knowing all the evidence, we can't go into the Bayern game playing this formation. Um, I think a flat 4-4-2 with Vasquez and Asensio on the flanks is decent. But if you read my my Gareth Bale article that was mentioned earlier in the podcast, I I, I would prefer Bale coming back into the team in something like a 4-3-3 I think would be fine. Um, I I don't think Benzema has been in great form, so I might play Ronaldo at the forward position and have I think Bale and Asensio out wide, and you know in that kind of like four three three or maybe even a four two three one with Isco at central attacking midfield, which you know would then allow us it it, it would give us that width on the flank and would allow us to protect Marcelo, which is crucial against players like Robin and I mean. It's it's fairly straightforward. I mean, I don't think too many people disagree with me here. We've I mean, been, maybe about Keanu yeah, maybe and, about the and you and I thing, have yeah. been begging for this four two three one for this this whole like six months. So that's our obvious answer. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Second part of his question. Uh. No, I don't want to answer this question. I don't care about this one. Um. We've answered it like ninety ten times. Um. All right. All right. Last question. Um, we have been recording. Oh, look at that. That's almost a full hour of content for you guys. All right. Um, so from hermit crack three at Petru underscore clasher asks us, um, maybe this was covered, but I'm really curious how our potential narrow, uh, diamond 
God damn it. I must, <laughs> I must not have read this. Well, we'll counter against Munich's total midfield domination. This domination comes from Muller and Hamas's tactical genius. Our midfield will get tired quickly, and Casemiro could be a disaster. Also, this might sound mad, but I think our bench should include Kovacic and Llorente. We need good subs that can defend. Lucas Vazquez is perfect for this match as he was unlimited stamina and his work rates are good, though I want Bale to start, but not as a striker. So basically, this dude just repeated all the things that you just said, um, as far as I can tell. But I do think that noting Muller and, and Hamas as uh, big threats to Madrid uh, is is actually quite important. And... It's going to be scary to watch Hamas because he he's going to be a man on a mission coming to the Bernabeu, folks. Yeah, Hamas is. I'm I'm a little scared about this match, um, and it's mainly because of Hamas and because he he just has that quality. No matter what you do, he can find a way to break your defense down. And his I I'm so glad Ramos is back because his crosses from deep wide areas have been insane if you've been watching Bayern Munich this season. And Ramos is our best player in the air in defense, and he's going to need to have a hell of a game. Yep, he really is. I I am worried about this match. I I am I am not able to do a prediction about it, but I am but partially because of that. Um I mean, I've made jokes about how the pundits have been getting owned by Madrid every every single match for like the last two years in the Champions League, which is true. Um, there are some pundits pundits who've literally picked against Madrid in every single elim- elimination match they get drawn into. Um, but this is the one that scares me the most out of them all of them yet. So um, I really think this is a good Bayern team that has. <laughs> the types of players doing the types of things that could beat us. I I I actually do think that a Kovacic um Casemiro or Kovacic, you know, someone double pivot could be really useful in this match actually. Um hope assuming basically Casemiro falls back cuz he's a big body to um kind of crowd the center of the of the area for these uh, aerial balls because one of the things that we've been seeing home is just taller forwards um find Carvajal and own him and that's been happening far too much and Juve basically showed people how to do it and we've actually seen it a few times since and that is that itself is a terrifying thing yeah I mean it's it's kind of we're finally getting a taste of our own medicine because that's what Ronaldo has been doing to opposition <laughs> fullbacks at the entire course of his career, right? I mean, that's the advantage of having a tall, aerially superior player on your left wing because Mansukic was playing um, on the left wing in the final. He played in, in the 2017 Champions League final. He played on the left wing. Um, I mean, most... I don't know if, like there's any fullback we could really get who could be really good there because most good fullbacks are short. But, you know, I think we just have to be careful and adjust with that and rotate. Yeah. And rotate see that kind of care. stuff coming because it is, it's scary to, to imagine a situation where Lewandowski is receiving an aerial pass um, with Carvajal as his main defender is a recipe mm. for Madrid conceding. So... Um, that is the thing I think I'm, I don't know. I'm worried about this game though, but it is going to be nerve wracking. The cool news is we're going to have more content for you. ManagingMadrid.com. Um, if you like this show, could please consider becoming a patron. Normally we don't do mailbag. So if you um, are not a patron and got your question answered, congratulations. Um, but on our normal show, we actually like recap and talk tactics and stuff and then take our guaranteed patron questions. So, uh, you're not going to, this is, this is a kind of one off. Um, we do our best to get to our patron questions, but we, um, if you really want your questions answered, if you have burning Real Madrid questions, uh, please consider tr- uh, dropping us a couple bucks, patreon.com slash managing Madrid support this show and our independent journalism, um, and, uh, yeah, thank you all so much. Oh, it's great talking to you, buddy, and uh, a la Madrid. A la Madrid. Please don't get me wrong. See, I forgive you in a song we'll call The Likely Lands. But if it's left to you, I know exactly what you do with all the dreams we had. Cause blood runs thicker, how it's thicker, Steve, you know It's important to you It's important to me I try to make you see But you don't want to know If you puzzle some along and get forgiven In a song or like to touch my life It's so 
Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Sports Social Podcast Network.